Hello and welcome to another episode of the Giants of the Faith podcast. My name is Robert Daniels and I'm the host of this show. This is the podcast where we focus on individuals from the age of the church who've lived out their faith in a unique or interesting way. These are people who are giants in the history of Christendom, and each has earned a spot in my personal Christian Hall of Fame. Welcome to episode 34, where we're continuing our survey of some of the key players of the 16th century Protestant Reformation. In this episode, we're looking at the life of Martin Bucer, the German reformer who was influenced by Luther and who, in turn, influenced Calvin. He's a man who I'll admit was mostly a stranger to me before I began researching this episode. I've since come to appreciate his commitment to the gospel and to the value of Christian unity. But before we get to Bootser, I have a recommendation for you. Occasionally, I like to pass along things that I think are cool, and that since you're listening to this podcast, I think might interest you as well. This one is a book, and comes courtesy of a recommendation I received from Pastor Tony Parker. It's the One Year Christian History, which I'll link in the show notes. It's a little book that has an entry for each day of the year that focuses in on some interesting event or person from the history of the church. It's kind of like a daily devotional, but for Christian history, and you can pick it up for very cheap on eBay, at least in the U.S. I recently picked it up for about $4, which included shipping. At that price, it's a no-brainer. So, on to Bootser. Martin Bootser was born November 11, 1491, in what is now Celestat, France, but was then a part of the Holy Roman Empire. His father, Klaus, was a cooper, and his mother, name unknown, was a midwife. When Bootser was 10 years old, his family moved to Strasbourg, but they left him behind to live with his grandfather. Bootser attended a humanist Latin school, and when he was 14 or 15, his path toward becoming a Dominican friar was set. Now, some sources claim his grandfather pushed him into becoming a friar, and some say that his grandfather was unhappy about it. But either way, he joined the local Dominican Order of Preachers in 1507 as a novice. As a novice Dominican, he studied Aristotle as a means toward understanding theology. After a few years, Bootser moved on to Heidelberg in 1515, where he studied Greek under future reformer Johann Brentz. In Heidelberg, he also became enamored with Erasmus, the famous humanist and publisher of the Greek New Testament, and of course with Thomas Aquinas as well. In 1516, Bucha was ordained as a priest in Mainz, and in 1517, he completed his university degree at Heidelberg. So it's so far so good for Bootser. His career in the church was moving along at a rapid pace, and he was fully immersed in it. But something happened in 1518 that would upend his apple cart and shape the rest of his life. Martin Luther came to town. As you may recall, Luther had posted his 95 theses on October 31, 1517, and his order, the Augustinians, had summoned him to Heidelberg to defend his views. Luther appeared at the Augustinian Lecture Hall in Heidelberg on April 26, 1518, and young Martin Bucer was there. Bucer was smitten with Luther's ideas, his 95 theses, his criticism of medieval scholasticism, his theology of the cross as opposed to glory, and his understanding of the role of law for Christians, as put forth in Luther's Heidelberg Theses. Luther said, The law of God, the most salutary doctrine of life, cannot advance man on his way to righteousness, but rather hinders him. And he also said, He is not righteous who does much, but he who, without work, believes much in Christ. 
So taken together, Luther is saying that our futile attempt to keep the law keeps us from achieving justification that only belief or faith in Christ can offer. This was a radical departure for Bootser, but he found that he agreed, though he would later modify his position to say that once received, the Holy Spirit moves believers to live according to the law. Bootser understood keenly what it meant to accept Luther's teachings. It placed him at odds with the Roman Church, the most powerful force in Europe, and that put his life in danger. Immediately, he drew up a will as he prepared to begin a new life. In 1519, he received his bachelor's degree, and he also came out of the closet as a Reformation-minded. He requested to be released from his vows, and that was granted by the Pope in 1521 over the objections of his superiors. The next year, in 1522, Bootser married former nun Elizabeth Silberson and took up the position of pastor at Landstuhl in southwest Germany. Bootser's protector at Landstuhl, Franz von Sickingen, agreed to pay for him to travel to Wittenberg to study under Luther. But while traveling to Wittenberg, Bootser was convinced to stop over in Wissemberg and serve as chaplain there. He began preaching daily sermons against the practices of the Catholic Church, and he was reinforcing reliance on the Bible as the complete source of knowledge needed for salvation. He tried to engage the local Franciscans and Dominicans in debate, but he was largely ignored by them. Ignored, that is, until the local populace began to threaten the security of the monasteries. At that point, the Bishop of Spire excommunicated Bootser. Around the same time, his protector was killed in battle, and Bootser was left in a vulnerable position. He was forced to leave town and headed for Strasbourg in May 1523. Bootser quickly became one of the leading figures of the Reformation in Strasbourg. Remember that his family had moved there when he was a boy. They still lived there, and Bootser's father had citizen rights in the city. Bootser gained permission from the city council to preach, but they would only allow it in Latin and not in German. About a year later, in August 1524, he was installed as the pastor at St. Aurelius Church, where he would serve until 1531. He began writing and publishing his own works, including biblical commentaries and a reworked order of mass for evangelicals. He also translated and published writings and sermons from other reformers. In October 1529, he attended the Marburg Colloquy. Now, you may remember from the Zwingli episodes that there was a meeting called at Marburg between the German and Swiss reformers to try to resolve the disagreements that the two sides had over communion. On the one side, you had Luther and his ilk that believed that Christ, in some special way, inhabited the wine and bread during the meal, and on the other, there was Zwingli and his followers who believed that the communion meal was commemorative only and had no supernatural element. Bootser had originally held to Luther's view, but he had come to hold a more symbolic one, and he hoped to be able to bridge the gap between Luther and Zwingli. He, and others, failed, and the rift between the two sides remained and even grew. Nonetheless, Bootser continued in his efforts to bring unity to the Protestant movement, and to get the various factions to support both the Augsburg Confession and the Wittenberg Concord. In 1531, Bootser became the pastor at St. Thomas's Church in Strasbourg. He attempted to model his church on the pattern of the early Christian church, and he stressed the need for discipline. In 1536, Bootser invited John Calvin to come to Strasbourg to escape his troubles. Calvin arrived in 1538, and Bootser took him under his wing. Calvin had been fired from his pastoral position in Geneva, and he'd been kicked out of the city. 
His uncompromising ways had rubbed the city council the wrong way. Bootser became mentor to Calvin and began to teach him how to pastor a congregation. He put Calvin in charge of ministering to a group of about 400 or so French exiles living in the city. Calvin adopted Bootser's order of service and he began to understand the flexibility required of a pastor. Calvin lived with Bootser for a while until Bootser set him up with a home that shared a backyard with his own. Bootser also brought Calvin into a circle of friends and even helped Calvin find a wife. After three years, Calvin's petition to return to Geneva was granted, and he returned a much more patient and humble man. Bootser's approach to dealing with the Anabaptist movement that rose around this time was mixed. On the one hand, he met with and did his best to persuade Anabaptists to return to the Reformed Church. He stressed to them the commonalities that they had, and he tried to show them love and to promote Protestant unity. He did bring many Anabaptists back to his point of view. But on the other hand, when he was unsuccessful in convincing them, he appealed to the civil governments to expel or imprison Anabaptists. He never supported execution for them, as many in Germany did, but he was determined to root them out. Beginning in 1539, Bootser began to work toward reconciling Protestants and Catholics in the Duchy of Saxony for the next few years. Through a series of meetings, some secret and some public, Bootser and others drew up a document known as the Worms Book that attempted to find some middle ground between the two camps. In it, Bootser conceded some sticking points of the Reformation, like justification and the sacraments, while the Catholics moved on sola fide and other points. The goal was to land on a mutually acceptable religious structure that could become the state religion. Once the other reformers, Luther included, learned what was taking place, the book was rejected, and the efforts failed. After the failure of his ecumenical work, Bootser returned to Strasbourg just as the city was being decimated by plague. Bootser lost friends and family alike. On November 16, 1541, his wife Elizabeth succumbed. But on her deathbed, she urged Bootser to marry Wibrandus Rosenblatt. Wibrandus was known as the Bride of the Reformation because she had already married and buried three leading reformers. Bootser obeyed, and on April 16, 1542, he married Rosenblatt. The couple had one child, a daughter, that they named Elizabeth. In 1546, war broke out between Catholics and Protestants, and the Catholics were gaining ground and pushing the Protestants back. At the 1548 Diet of Augsburg, Holy Roman Emperor Charles V's men produced a document known as the Augsburg Interim. It sought to impose Catholic practices throughout the empire, with only a few concessions for the Protestants. The emperor wanted a Protestant figurehead to agree to and to sign the agreement. Unhappy with the Reformation rollbacks the interim contained, Bootser refused to sign, and he led the efforts in Strasbourg to resist. Now this led to him being fired from his pastorate by the city council, and he was expelled from the city. After he lost his position, Bootser received several offers, but he ultimately chose Thomas Cranmer's invitation to come to England. In 1549, Bootser made the journey and he arrived at Cranmer's house in London. He lived with Cranmer for a while and he assisted him with updating the Book of Common Prayer. He also taught at Cambridge, lecturing on Ephesians. And it was at this time that he wrote his most memorable work, A Kingdom for Christ, in which he laid out his vision for reforms in the British church and state. The English king, Edward VI, read and approved of this work, 
which led to Bootser being awarded a Doctorate of Divinity by Cambridge College. Unfortunately, Bootser fell ill in early 1551 and died on February 28th of that year. His wife was now widowed to four great men of the Reformation. His story doesn't quite end there, however. Only a couple of years later, Bloody Mary came to the throne in England. In 1557, her administration exhumed Bootser's body and burned it. They also destroyed his tomb. A few years later, when Elizabeth I came to power, she rebuilt the tomb, but it was too late for Bootser's remains. And then in 1644, Bootser returned to the limelight again. John Milton, the English poet, published his Judgment of Martin Bootser as part of a series of articles advocating legal divorce. Milton pulled Bootser's pro-divorce writings from A Kingdom for Christ and translated them from their original Latin. He cherry-picked the arguments that Bootser had that supported the outcome that Milton wanted, and he ignored those that didn't. Milton's wife had recently taken their children and left him, but there was no legal avenue for Milton to seek a divorce. He hoped by publishing the work, he could convince Parliament to change their views. And within just a few years, the Westminster Confession of Faith did allow for divorce in cases of infidelity and abandonment. And that's where we'll wrap it up. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode and hope you learned a few new things. If you have anything to add, shoot me an email at podcast at giantsofthefaith.com. Until next time, God bless. 